you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. We should give a prize out for the first person to find the book of Ezekiel. I mean, I know they used to do that old school. Uh, he's turned down. Yeah, we're good? All right. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you, and the passage will also be on the screen. It is so good to see so many of you and just to witness the way that you love one another and are eager to live life together. And yeah, I mean, it's almost like a family reunion each and every week as we um, get to see the people that we love the most and live life with people that we love the most and share our common faith. And that's just a gift. I'm going to continue our series on spiritual gifts called Everyone Has a Part to Play. And I want to begin with a story of some of my early days as Jen and I were married as a couple. So um, this was, you can imagine, this was the day of, su- of subprime mortgages. Kind of they would just give them out to anybody. So we were a newlywed couple and uh, Jen so desperately wanted to have a home and we went around, and it was actually really hard to find something. They, the houses would stay on the market just for a couple of days. And uh, we, we found this townhouse. And um, I should have known something was up right away when there was a toilet in the middle of the living room. Um, that wasn't, like, custom built or anything. It was just, like, they were doing some, like, reconstruction on the house. But, I mean, to look at Jen's face, I mean, she's like, I love it. And so I'm like, I love you. And so we bought the house, you know. And... Um, we affectionately called that house the money pit. It's kind of, it's an old 1980s movie after Tom Hanks where thing after thing would go wrong. Uh, the first time I ever led a small group, I, I got a call uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon. There was water coming through the ceiling and that, uh, it wasn't from a sprinkler or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> we had water that came through the washer and dryer area. And then finally, because the market was so crazy, after a couple of years, we were actually able to sell it. And we felt a little bit guilty at the time. The people said, hey, we don't want a home inspection. And we're like, yes, Lord. You know? <laughs> and we actually were, uh, we were moving to another house, and it wasn't quite ready. And so we had to rent it back from the people that we bought it from. And we're, we're literally sitting there on the day that we closed, and we looked up. And water began to drip from the ceiling once again. And I felt guilty, um, but we didn't own the house anymore, so there's nothing I could do. And um, I tell you that story because um, the truth is small amounts of water are really powerful. And as we look at the book of Ezekiel this morning, we're, we're going to see that idea of water that flows from God's temple and from God's throne that represents his spirit and his power. How um, his life-giving water doesn't bring destruction, but it renews and it remakes everything. And as we're, um, this really should have probably been like one, maybe one of the first messages that we did in this series because it, it presupposes, like if we're talking about using the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it, it presupposes a life and a lifestyle in the Holy Spirit, that we're actually connected to the source. You know, we're, we're talking over and over that this is deeper than just um, a personality trait that you might have, but these are supernatural empowerments from the Spirit. And so we're going to look at that as we read Ezekiel chapter 47. So if you have your Bibles open and you're able to stand, would you stand with me? We're going to 
read Ezekiel 47. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And the only reason that we stand is just to, we want to give honor and reverence to God's word because his words are authoritative, they are inerrant, and they are our source and our standard for everything that we do. Ezekiel 47 verse 1 says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around the outside to the outer gate that faces the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the men measured a thousand cubits. Cubits. (laughs) It's a hard word to say. You can laugh. All right. And... (laughs) And then through the water, it was ankle deep, and he measured a thousand, and he led me through the water, and it was knee deep, and he measured a thousand, and he led me through, and it was waist deep, and he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. And that's our prayer, that the water would rise this morning. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And he led me back to the bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Verse 9, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be... Very many fish, for this water that goes there, the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engelium. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh because they are left for salt. And on the banks of both sides there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be f- for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Would you pray with me? Each and every time that we come in this room, there is always a tension between where we are, where we truly long to be and your plans and your purposes for us and I pray that today that you would travel the distance between where we are and where you are and that you would fill it with the hope and the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we truly would be different as a result of encountering you through your word. I pray that you would deepen us in our faith, that you would cause life-giving water to flow in our lives and out to the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Ezekiel 47 um, is this wonderful, beautiful picture of hope and restoration, but it begins with a dilemma. 
Um, the dilemma is that this is a season of moral and spiritual decline for the people of God in the Old Testament. I don't know if you ever read Ezekiel. I don't do it a whole lot. But w- when you do, there, there are these pictures that are filled with both judgment and darkness and hope and light and restoration at the same time. And that seems to be how God works throughout the world. And, and what's going on in Ezekiel 47 is this picture of a rebuilt temple that has a river that's flowing from it. And it begins with a trickle and it ends in a river. And this is a picture of God restoring and rebuilding his people. See, the people had fallen into a place of hopelessness and despair because truly the, the temple itself had been destroyed when they went into exile. Uh, The priesthood no longer existed. It had become defiled. And the people themselves had been forcibly removed from the land of Israel and made to go live in Babylon. Now, um, you can just imagine if that was your own experience. Pictures of hope would be difficult, right? But the truth is, we are also living in a time of spiritual and cultural decline, right? Um, All you have to do is... Take the high points of the last three years and and you see a culture that's bent on destroying itself. People fighting with one another. People bent on destroying and arguing. And um, love is few and far between. And that's why pictures of hope like this are more important. But that's not only true for the culture. I mean, and this is true for the church at large, right? I mean, all you have to do is look, and there's one scandal after another, and there is cultural decline inside the church. Now, I don't believe that the church in any way is losing steam or power, right? But I, I do think it's moving from a place of cultural favor to a place where it, it's going to take a lot more to follow Jesus, right? It's not going to be, um, you're not going to get a lot of cultural capital in the years to come because you go to church. It's not going to get you a business deal anymore. I mean, it's going to be one of those kinds of things where um, to be the people of God is to fall out of disfavor. So it's important to have these kinds of pictures of hope Um, in the midst of times of cultural decline. Now, it's very easy to believe that, you know, the story of God's people, we we naturally think that it's just going to be this ever-increasing line that goes like this up to the top, to the mountaintop. But the truth is it goes like this, and then 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 it goes like this. And listen, just, just let's be honest with each other. Like, we're on one of those downward trends right now, right? And coming out of the last few years, we need to fix our minds and our ideas and our faith on pictures of hope and especially a God that renews everything. And pictures of hope, they stand and they shine more brightly in the darkness. And I think that not only is that true of both you know, what's going on spiritually and culturally, but there are individuals in this room where you are at your darkest moments, right? And you need pictures of hope to come in and to renew and to bring hope and to bring restoration. You need this picture of the temple that's bringing life-giving water. And it's good news for us because this picture of water flowing from the temple doesn't go 
um, towards the people when they've gotten it all right. This isn't dependent on their moral performance. They actually had performed very badly. They had fallen into idolatry. And the truth is that even when the people of God went into um, into exile, that God himself went with them. There's a picture of this in Ezekiel 1 where God's presence goes with the people into exile. Even when they're experiencing the consequences of their own failures and their own sins, God never leaves them or abandons them. And I think that's very important. If you are going through a dark season, there is a God that will never leave you or forsake you. He is there and he's also giving us pictures of hope. Now, the good news for us as the people of God is God is not limited by our circumstances. Amen? Right? He is absolutely committed to performing his word and to accomplishing his purposes both in our life and in the world. John Tyson, in his book, A Creative Minority, says this. He says, we need a vision that's not based on a fear of a godless future, right? That's, that's what the culture warriors would want you to believe, that, that the culture is on this downhill slide and there is no hope, and or our only hope would be some kind of political renewal, right? We don't have, we're not placing our confidence in anything that can happen in Washington, D.C., or longing for an idealized past. Like, that's what Christians tend to do. Like, think, hey, the past was better, and if we could just get back to this idea kind of era. But what, but what we need is a rich presence in our own time that inspires the beauty and possibility of Christ's church. The advancement of the kingdom of God does not depend on the cultural situation in which we find ourselves. Not upon our own performance and response. Rather, we are invited to follow the way of Jesus in his great redemptive work in our time. Who's up for that? All right, let's do it. All right, so we have this picture of life-giving water. And the good news of this passage and and, and the big idea that we're going to unpack this morning is seasons of renewal flow out of times of cultural and spiritual decline. So the good news is that God loves to make his work shine the brightest in these seasons of decline. So the next point that we're going to look at is the promise of restoration. Everywhere that this river flows, there is life. The vision in Ezekiel 47 is of a rebuilt temple. And this shows God's commitment to rebuild and restore everything that was destroyed by sin and rebellion and idolatry. But this goes much deeper than just rebuilding some temple or a piece of architecture in the land of the people of God. This is about a spiritual renewal that flows from God's very presence and his very throne that begins to remake his people from the inside out, right? Their their need in exile was not just to have a rebuilt temple, but to have a rebuilt heart and a rebuilt life, right? And it's the same for us as we look at what's going on in the world. We need to be renewed and changed from the inside out, The river begins as a trickle, and it turns into a river. I mean, you have this imagery. It says every thousand cubits, and it's about 500 meters or uh, just over a quarter of a mile. There's this picture of ever-increasing water. It begins, and it's ankle deep. And then they go out 
a quarter mile, and then it's knee deep. And then they go out another quarter mile, and it's waist deep. And then they go out another quarter mile, and they can't even stand because the river has grown so much. And that's a picture of how much God wants to restore all of the effects of sin and decay, both in your life and in the world. As the great Christmas hymn goes, as far as the curse is found. He wants to bring renewal and hope. It begins in a trickle and it, uh, and it ends up in a river. And I love what is declared in verse 9. It has This river begins in this renewed and rebuilt temple and it's God's power and His presence and it flows downward and it goes all the way into the Dead Sea. That's, that's what's pictured in verse 9. And I don't know if you know about the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on earth. It is the most dense. I mean, if you everything that goes in the Dead Sea um, basically floats. I mean, it, it's, it's lifeless. There's no life there. But the picture is when the river of God's presence and the river of His Spirit actually begins to touch the Dead Sea, everything comes to life. There's new life. There's fish of all kinds. And this is an image of God bringing new life in the midst of death. The river flows from God and brings life everywhere it goes. The key verse is Ezekiel 47 verse 9. The second half of it says, Everything will live where the river goes. This is our great confidence as we move forward as a church family. Right? This is the only way that you can go forward in the places that need renewal in your own life. Is that everywhere that you go and everywhere that this life-giving river goes, there will be life. And bringing dead things to life is God's specialty. Right? We serve a God of resurrection. So what this means very practically is that God's not limited by the circumstances of your life. His ability to bring renewal and restoration. He's able to save anyone, right? There's not one candidate that's um, more likely to come to faith than the next. So if you have someone that's on your heart and you are praying for them to come to faith in Jesus, I mean, the truth of Ephesians 2 is we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's God that makes anyone alive. Everywhere that the river goes, there will be life. Right, So God is the one that raises us from spiritual death. He's able to redeem any situation. Right, If he's able to redeem the, the exile of his people, if he's able to redeem the death of his own son, how much more can he redeem what you are walking through this morning? The river brings forgiveness to the guilty. The, the river brings comfort to the suffering. And for us to be able to use the gifts that God has given us, we must continually place ourselves in this river, and find life in him, right? So there's this idea. So theologically, this is how it works. We are born again by the Spirit of God, like he moves us from death to life. That's called regeneration. Um, But throughout the New Testament, there's this idea of being full of the Spirit. In the book of Acts, it, it says, I want you to choose deacons or elders that are full of the Spirit. That's not a synonym for conversion, it's people that are walking in the fullness of who God has created them to be. So we're, we're looking to de- develop a lifestyle of the Spirit that leads us to use the gifts of the Spirit so that many people can come to life and enjoy the same things that we have. So how do we begin to seek renewal both personally and individually and as a church in a season of decline? 
Well, the first thing is you have to recognize the trickle, right? This begins with a trickle. I don't know if it's anything. <laughs> um, I have a trickle that happens inside of my shower every morning. I mean, if, if you don't pay close enough attention, you can grow numb to the trickle. You know what I'm saying? It's drip, 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 drip. And the truth is, what we are experiencing as a church is a trickle from God's throne. There are people in this room that deeply love one another. There are people that are setting their mind and their heart and their attention on Jesus. There are people that are seeking to give their life away for the kingdom of God. And, and what I want you to know in this season of decline and even in our city, this is a rare thing, right? This is a trickle. But for me, like... I read passages like this, and I, and I want to jump into the river. Like, I want to I get to the part where I can't even stand up. But, but you have to recognize that there's a progression, right? So you've got this trickle that ends in a river. Don't despise the trickle because the trickle comes from God, right? So as we acknowledge him, God, you are at work. And, and, and what he's inviting everyone to do, if you're experiencing that trickle, if there's something happening in your heart and in your soul, he's inviting you to take that next step because that next step, you know, you might go from the trickle to it's, it's covering up your ankles, right? You might sign up for a gospel community this fall and you might just have this trickle of affection for Jesus and you meet someone and they strengthen you and they encourage you and then you begin to go, it's up to your ankles and, and then, you know, God may be calling you to join or to lead out in our church in some way and you may find that the trickle has become all the way up to your knees and as you join arms with brothers and sisters, I mean it can become waist deep and listen, when a whole church comes alive to who God is. That's what we call revival, right? And that's what we're longing for. So recognize the trickle because a trickle from God is more powerful than any other life source in the universe. A trickle from God is more powerful than all of the man-made wisdom and all of the man-made strategies in the world. He is our hope. He is our source. So Recognize the trickle. The second thing we're going to do is do everything that you can to get in the water. Right? Don't let anything stop you from taking that next step. Do everything that you can to experience this life-giving source that comes from God. Don't let circumstances cut you off from the only source of life. Now, my wife Jen um, you know, affectionately could be known as a water baby. So when we were married, we lived in Virginia Beach, and she would take the kids to the beach. We only had two at the time. She would take them. She would gather around. When we moved to Georgia, we actually had a pool in our neighborhood. And uh, legend has it that there was a whole summer where she didn't wash our children's hair because they spent all, so much time. She tells that story over and over to make moms feel, um, you know, hey, <laughs> if you're giving your kids a shower, you're doing a great job. So she would take them to the pool every day. We move here, there's not a lot of water, you know, but that doesn't stop her, you know. So this is like last summer, um, you know, we've got global supply chain issues. Um, I go into Walmart and I find that the last baby pool that they have in stock 
And, and there was somebody like, that stopped me in the parking lot that wanted to buy it. And it took every ounce of self-restraint that I had, not to say, because they wanted to know if we had more. And I knew I had the last one. I, I, I could see this turning into a $50 or $100 deal. But I decided that I love my bride enough that I was going to take it home. And listen, <laughs> we have a nice neighborhood. Like We have nice neighbors. It doesn't stop her from the least. She sits in the backyard. She fills it up with water. The kids bring her drinks. They, she has a fan blowing on her. She does every single thing that she can to stay in the water. And I think that's a good picture of what it means to be the people of God. We have to do everything that we can to get in the water. Don't let anything stop you. So as we do this, there's this idea of renewal that begins to happen. This is a picture of renewal. So we're going to talk about some ways that God wants to renew us and how we can apply this. The first way is personally. God wants to personally renew and restore your soul, right? No matter where you are this morning, he wants to come in and kind of do heart surgery and begin to move you um, more into his purposes, the invitation from Jesus is to come and to drink. So ultimately, the people of God, they went back into the land. They rebuilt the temple. But you know what happened? That temple got destroyed, right? Because this is a picture of something bigger and deeper. Not only did that temple get destroyed, even when it was built, the people began to weep because it wasn't even as great as the temple that came before that. And there was something inside of the people of God that said, there must be something that we're missing. There must be something better that's on the way. And Jesus comes into the picture in the, in the Gospel of John, and he says, I'm the temple, right? And he says, if, if this temple's torn down in three days, I'm going to be raised up again. And because he's been raised up again, now we get to come to him and drink. John 7 says this, he says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as if scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I want you to make the connection. The river begins in the temple. The, the river begins with Jesus. He's the one that gives the Spirit. He says you can come to Him and drink. You can come to Him and receive. But now if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the river lives in you. right? You have this self-replenishing, ever-living supply of water that wants to make you new over and over again. And um, you can fact check me on this, but... My son Landon told me that um, theme parks sell Dasani water because it contains salt and it makes you thirsty. Is that true, Landon? Can you confirm for everybody? So Landon's told me that. He tells me that every time we go to an amusement park. He's like, they're just trying to get more of your money, Dad. And at an amusement park, so there's this idea that salt makes you thirsty. And there's so many times in my own spiritual life where I found it humbling to be spiritually thirsty, right? Um, maybe I've tried to satisfy myself too much with Netflix, or maybe I've tried to satisfy myself with um, just rest that doesn't come from God, you know? And then I come into contacts like this, and, and I can feel guilty. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really thirsty. And somewhere along the way, I made the connection, like spiritual thirst is the point, right? 
We're, we're not made to come and just take one drink at conversion and, and then somehow that we're supposed to live the rest of our lives on that. No, we have this idea that we can come to him and we can drink and we can be refreshed and we can be renewed and we can be satisfied over and over again. And so the invitation is to come and to drink. Spiritual thirst is probably the greatest sign of spiritual health that there is. The real danger lies when you're never spiritually thirsty, right? And what happens inside a church, if a church loses its appetite and spiritual thirst, then it just becomes about who's the rightest, you know? And you start arguing about Bible passages and what color the carpet should be, right? But if people come into this room spiritually thirsty, that's why we come. We come to him so that we can drink and we can be refreshed. So the invitation is to come and to drink. Second way that we're going to try to apply this, and this is going to kind of lead into some of the things that we're doing in the fall, is um, we're pursuing some structural change in our church to help us to get in the river. I hope that makes sense. One of the things that we're convinced of is that God is inviting us to go deeper in the area of prayer and worship. And... It's not as if those things are absent in our church, you know. Um, they are pronounced gifts and they are strengths in many ways. But the thing that God's been laying on my heart, and I feel cold and burdened to at least equip us as a church, is that the primary reason that we entered this room is to minister to him instead of be ministered to. And there's... there's the flip that happened, whether that's 80s and 90s megachurch consumerism where people are like, I'm just coming to get my needs met, right? And if it doesn't meet my preferences. No, no, no. The people of God have gathered on Resurrection Day to celebrate him for 2,000 years, right? We're, we're here to minister to him, to celebrate him, to declare who he is. Like, and what's beautiful about who God is as we pour out our affection, just like in that song, you know, as we spill out our lives for him, he reminds us of how much he loves us, right? And we truly only can love him as we realize he first loved us. And I think we get that note right, that God loves us, and I'm grateful for that. But I think what our city needs, and honestly what our souls need, is, is a vision and a heart that loves him, right? That we truly were created um, to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That has to mean something and look like something. So as we begin to do that and pursue that as a, a church, I think it's going to strengthen us. So what we're going to do is the second Wednesday of every month, and this is going to be a, a a regular rhythm for us as a church family, we're going to have prayer and worship in this room, right? So this is going to be, there's going to be child care that's provided, and we want to make space. Um, so we, we've done this with a few groups of people, my wife and I, the worship team, where you just kind of come in and you sit and you fix your attention on him and you let your burdens fall to the ground and your soul is strengthened. And we'll, we'll teach into this a little bit more as we go, but we're, we're making space for prayer and worship. I want to read a, a quote from a, a book called An Unhurried Leader. And the first part of this quote is actually from a Quaker 50 years ago talking about how often the church tries to do things in their own strength. He says, In religious circles, we find today a fierce 
and almost violent planning and programming. And man, that tension is there this summer. I mean, I've had retreat after retreat where we're planning, right? And if we put our hope there, we'll be in trouble. A sense that without ceaseless activity, nothing will ever be accomplished. How seldom it occurs to us that God, and this is, this is what's awesome, God has to undo all over again much of what we have willfully pushed through in his name, right? We think we're doing the right thing by pressing through in our own strength. These words are just as true today. Instead of living and serving in the presence of a God who is always at work and from whom flows abundance, we work almost violently as though no work but our own would make a difference. We forget that God is already working and we would be wise simply to join him in that work. And whatever work God is doing, he does so in a way that is keeping with who he is, gentle, kind, patient, and peaceful. When we are working with God, we will also work with gentleness, kindness, patience, and peace. So, please hear this. Our discipleship strategy includes God's word. Our discipleship strategy includes listening to sermons. I've shared this with my friend this week. But the demons themselves have the right doctrine. The only thing that will change us is a heart of love. And the thing that was on my heart this morning is, is just the church in Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus. They got everything right. They refuted false teachers. They, I think, were living well together in community, but they forgot their first love, right? And listen, it would be normal in the, the, the season that we've had to lose our first love. But part of the reason that we're doing these worship and prayer nights is so that you recover first love. And I remember, I mean, <laughs> and this is a good picture because Jen would show, I had a job where I had to go to the Navy shipyards and I think I had to be there by like 7 a.m. She would show up to, to give me a hug and a kiss before I went off like when we were engaged. Like there, there was something about just being in that season. And I don't know if you remember what first love was like for you with Jesus when you realized that every sin was forgiven and that he loved you. And I mean, <laughs> you didn't have all your uh, T's crossed and your I's dotted, but it was real, right? And Jesus says, I remember that season. I want to take you back to that season when it was fresh and it was real and it was intimate. It might have been messy and it might have been crazy, but it's real. And there's something that we're not meant to live with, with, with just a sense of stoicism throughout the ages. We're meant to rekindle first love. So we're going to go deeper in prayer and worship. We're also going to go deeper in discipleship. Trenton already mentioned we're, we're signing up for our gospel communities. And, and, and this is our best attempt to fulfill God's great commission of making disciples. Um, we are a very gifted church in relating to one another relationally. There is probably some room for all of us, myself at the forefront, to grow in what it means to leverage those relationships to help us grow in godliness, right? Um, it would be a tragedy to have all of the good news that we have in the gospel and all of the strong relationships that we have and just have chips and dip together, right? That's, that's not a win for the kingdom of God. God's inviting us to go deeper in discipleship. So we're, gonna, um, we're just going to begin uh, on the first 
Wednesday or Thursday of the month in your gospel community, you're going to share a meal together. And there will be um, discussions and practices that you will go through. And, and these are designed to help you connect with one another, but also to connect with God. And we're just tweaking what we're doing a little bit. We're moving a little bit away from um, just kind of a discussion-based kind of curriculum to moving to a place um, where we are practice-based. So I call this apprentice-based discipleship. So um, I don't know if we have any doctors here today, but doctors don't learn how to become a doctor just from a book. And aren't we glad that's true, right? They actually have to begin the process of cutting into a cadaver and doing certain things and learning all kinds of skills with their hands so that the first person that they touch, um, you know, they, they've got some skill that's developed underneath there. That's what the, this country's done for most of its history is train people to do jobs by becoming apprentices. Somehow, in the church, we've decided that discipleship looks like giving people a bunch of information, right? And somehow we think that if we have more knowledge, then that will lead to no more obedience. But that's simply not the case. You can look at our city, right? That is, um, most people are far more educated in their theological knowledge than they are in their obedience and what they live out. The problem is not a lack of knowledge, but a lack of love that puts those things into practice. That there's somehow something that we gain by just merely talking about spiritual things. Jesus oftentimes would take his disciples on mission, and he actually would put them in situations that they absolutely were not ready for. Like when the crowds didn't have enough food, he says, I want you to give them something to eat. right? And then he went back and told them that he was the bread of life. Right? So, you, so there's an order to this sometimes that it, it, as you're going on mission with Jesus that you're going to come into contact with things that you're not ready for and then your, your heart's more prepared to be discipled. So we're going to try to put more emphasis on practicing our faith. So instead of having discussions about prayer, we're actually going to pray. And um, sometimes that may begin with praying in our heart, but then it might you know, move towards praying out loud, and that would be amazing. That would be a first step towards revival. You know, it would be amazing. So we're going to move from just merely talking about things to trying to put those things into practice. We're also going to add gender-specific discipleship once a month. So on the third week of the month, we're going to have men meet with men and women meet with women, and there also will be child care up here. We're doing all of this not so that we can have just more structure, but so that we can have more of God, hopefully. That our experience of him would grow. And then finally, not only is Jesus the temple in John chapter 2, we, we find at the, as the story of God continues to go on in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're described as the temple, Right? In Ephesians chapter 2, we corporately are described as the temple, the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit together. So the, the, the idea is that the, the river that now lives inside of us would flow out into the world. And, and this weekend I've met with a group of leaders and we've just been talking about what would it look like for God to bring missional renewal to our city. And there was a beautiful time where we were just were praying for the next generation. Um, there's something happening. Every single place that I go and I have the privilege to travel, there is a burden for Gen Z and what's going on. Um, in many ways, this generation can seem to be hopeless and lost. 
um, they spend most of their time behind a screen. And that's because they don't know how to interact with the world. And that's not just, that's not just because they lack discipline. It's because they're afraid. And they walk around with this constant awareness um, or unawareness. They're not aware of how valuable they are to God and how much they matter to Him. And so one of the things that we're praying is that God would bring renewal to this next generation. And um, we're going to be doing some prayer and fasting coming up over the fall. And one of the focuses is the next generation coming up. Um, We actually need um, more help in that area. We don't know exactly what discipling the next generation well looks like, but we're seeking God. And um, I've seen God be at work both in my children, through my children, in the youth group up until this point. And my great hope is what's begun as a trickle will ultimately end up in a river. And so God wants to bring missionary renewal to the next generation. He wants to bring it to your neighborhoods, right? Um, I think he's going to call us out of our comfort zone, that that river is going to take us maybe across the street, right? So that we can meet our neighbors. And he wants to just continue to be at work moving us. And then I'm just going to close by reading this, and I'll invite Aaron and the band up. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones, considered by many to be the best Bible preacher of the 20th century. He says this about revival. He says, Read the story of any revival that's ever taken place, and you will find that at the beginning of it is always the same. So every revival in church history has this one thing in common. One man, or sometimes a number of people, suddenly become alive to the true Christian life, and others begin to pay attention to them. The world outside is stirred and begins to pay attention. So revival begins inside the church. Revival always begins in the church, and the world outside seeing it begins to pay attention. This is why our condition as believers is so important. So I think there's this tension that God's inviting us into this morning as we enter His presence and we fix our attention on Him. It's this dual tension of coming and drinking and being renewed and being refreshed. And for some of you, that, that literally may be placing your faith in Jesus for the first time. That may be your step getting in the river. If that's you, we would love to pray with you and encourage you in your steps of following Jesus. It's the best life that you could possibly live. So this, this invitation to come and to drink and to be personally renewed, but to realize that, <laughs> that God's spirit, that, that we're meant to be stewards and conduits of him, that river of life that lives in us and flows in us is meant to flow out into the world. So beginning to ask questions, God, why have you given me the spirit? Why have you given me the gifts that you've given me? How can I employ them in your service to see your gospel go forward and your kingdom go forward? Would you pray with me? I want you to pray something like this in your hearts if you're if this is what you want. Father, we collectively as your people come to you thirsty. God, we're sorry for all of the places that we've been drinking that don't satisfy, that have left us languishing, that have left us lonely and hopeless. 
As Jeremiah 2 says, we've drank from broken cisterns that hold no water. Yet that doesn't stop you from inviting us to come and to drink. We come collectively as your people, knowing that we need you and having a confidence that when we ask to come and to drink and to be filled with your spirit, that you, in fact, will pour out your spirit as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Everywhere we look, there's dryness and barrenness. We humbly yet confidently approach you and we say, would you pour out your spirit on us in such a way that we would begin to bring life to those around us? That we would not just keep this treasure in our jars of clay for ourselves, but we would be poured out and we would be spilled out for those around us. I pray that we wouldn't just be individual silos, that we'd be joined together as members of a body and members of, in the household of God and as your temple. That when someone enters into either this big meeting or a smaller meeting, they would have a sense and an awareness of who you are. That's New Testament Christianity. I pray that you help us to keep Jesus at the center. I pray that he would become our boast. I pray that coming into this room and ministering to your heart would be our top priority. And as we do that, you would begin to shower down your love and your affection on your people. Thank you that you are both the just and the justifier, that we have the blood of Jesus that speaks for us and we can approach you with boldness and with confidence because we're just as loved as Jesus is. We're just as clean as Jesus is. We're just as loved and secure as Jesus is because of the gospel and that is our hope. So I pray that as we sing, you would refresh us in the depths of who we are. We cry out in our neediness and we cry out in our confidence that you will pour out your spirit on your people.